Hey, it's Jim Paff again, and this is the Against Nice podcast, where we believe that nice people are evil because they want to run your lives. We promote culture and government that values voluntary decisions left up to you. This is a way to promote justice and kindness that thinks about the needs of others before ourselves. Go to our website, politicsisntnice.com, and join our email list. The button's right there at the top right, politicsisntnice.com. Today we're going to talk to my friend David Brody. He's with CBN News and uh, also has his own podcast, The Pod's Honest Truth. You need to look that up on the web and follow his podcast. He's been a good friend for many years. I really appreciated uh, working with him on uh, various issues as I've been involved in uh, various political efforts here in Colorado and also when I was on Capitol Hill. David's uh, got a great perspective on what's going on in politics and culture and uh, in the evangelical church. He's really well connected. Let's uh, take some time and talk to David. Hey, uh, glad to have my friend David Brody here of uh, CBN, and uh, he's got a podcast uh, called, um, what is it called, David? (laughs) Yeah, I have to remind myself as well. Uh, The Pod's Honest Truth. The Pod's (laughs) Honest Truth. I love it. Um, So glad to have you with me, David. We've been friends for a while. I just really appreciate you uh, joining me today. No, I'm really happy to do it, Jim. And uh, congratulations, you're in podcast land. So uh, uh, good good luck there. And uh, I believe that's where we say we'll be praying for you. Yeah, exactly. Thank you very <laughs> much. Hey, so, um, man, we're in the middle of this COVID-19 thing. My gosh, this is like crazy. I, I think I'll set this part of it up just by saying mm-hmm. I am very, very concerned about government overreach, about the way we're going to change ourselves culturally on the back end of this. I, I think we have some serious problems coming down the road. No, I, I absolutely agree. And uh, I think we're in that tug of war right now. You know, we started to see a little bit of it uh, early on, Jim. Uh, the churches decided to play along nicely, if you will, for, you know, a month, month and a half. There were some churches obviously said we're going to meet no, no matter what. And so that was the beginning of it. But now we're into full throttle mode, Jim. I mean, I think we're going now to the next stage of, uh, to quote the Donna Summer uh, Barbara Streisand song from 1979, Enough is Enough. Uh, and I, I think that's where churches are right now, uh, Jim. I, I think they're saying, look, uh, we can be smart about this. I mean, if you can go to Costco and you can go to Walmart and you can only allow a certain amount of people in there and a certain amount of people in your grocery store uh, under safe practices, why in the world can you not do that for another essential service, which is, oh, I don't know, hmm, worshiping Jesus. And so I think that's where we're going. And so the balance then becomes between uh, public safety and those concerns, Jim, and also obviously First Amendment rights and, you know, know your constitution, have a constitutional handbook uh, in your hip pocket. And a lot of folks don't know their constitutional handbook. And I think uh, that's, that's obviously a big problem right now. Yeah, I, I think it is. Religious liberty, First Amendment issues, not just religious liberty, but also people that are out protesting at state capitals saying we need to reopen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm seeing video after video of uh, police officers who are manhandling people, not because they did something violent and they had to restrain them, but just from doing 
little things. Did you see that Kevin James video? Kevin James, a comedian. And, uh, he, he was, uh, just showing how he, in this, uh, fictional thing that he put together he and a friend were shaking hands then people were calling on him and then they're running away from the cops you know this is a radical change from where we've been i saw a friend Mm -hmm. say that uh you know if i have to carry papers around i remember reading about this in history books Mm -hmm. this so the cultural change the fact that many churches just complied and that people are complying in general to not just mere precautions, but to orders about what they need to do. This, this will really be the argument for the, next, for the November election for sure, but certainly going into the next couple of years, I think. Well, I agree with you. I think it's something obviously President Trump can capitalize if he wants to get more of that evangelical vote. And by the way, we'll, maybe we'll talk about this later, but he's going to need more of that evangelical vote. You know, he had that yeah. record 81% of uh, the white evangelical, that's how they measure the exit polls, uh, white evangelicals. Uh, He's going to need north of 81% because of all the anti-vitriol against this president. Uh, But look, I I think to your earlier point and really kind of to your main point, which is what in the world's going on, Jim? I I mean, you've got folks getting tickets in their car down in Mississippi, $500 tickets for going to a drive-in service down in Mississippi. As a matter of fact, these were just, just this past Wednesday. Uh, you know, they were listening to a sermon in their car and they're getting fined $500. You got the governor of Illinois who says, you know what, we're not opening up churches or, or gatherings of 50 or more is what he says, but and that includes religious services. He says, we're not doing that until we find a vaccine. Um, wait, hold on for a second. Last time I checked in with Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, we might not have that for 12 to 18 months from now, even though the president says by the end of the year. The point is, is that uh, there, there's an, it goes back to the enough is enough with these churches uh, and these pastors saying, look, we're done. Uh, we're out. We gave it our best shot. And here's the thing, Jim, and I think this is important. These are not renegade churches. These are not renegade pastors. They're not going into this saying, you know what? I'll tell you what. Well, let's forget social distancing. For, forget being smart. Just everybody in and let's all shake hands and, and hug and all head for the exits at the same time. They're not doing that. As a matter of fact, uh, they're doing the exact opposite. Social distancing is important. Sit with your family members. Uh, we'll dismiss you in groups, if you will. I mean, so, I mean, there is some smart, uh, you know, tactics to all of this. And I think the problem, Jim, is, is that uh, too many times uh, the religious right, if you will, and, and churches and pastors and the evangelicals get called pigeonholed until there were a bunch of renegades uh, that just want to flout, uh, you know, the Romans 13 verse down there about submitting to authorities, obeying authorities, if you will. And uh, that's, th- that's not what this is about at all. No, it's not. And people are in a free society, I mean, by the way, I always say that 6,000 years of recorded human history proves the moral depravity of man. I mean, it's not like we're all good and perfect or whatever, but when it comes to decision-making over your life, people can make a rational decision. I said from the very beginning of this that have the the medical professionals should not be making the final decisions. Not at all. The the elected politicians for good or bad Mm -hmm. should be the ones responsible and the one that pay the price for that. We don't have to just listen to the medical professionals. What we do is we say, listen, here's what's going on get the best information possible about what the risks are, 
tell people the best information possible about how to mitigate risks mm -hmm. and then let them make the decisions. You know, it's recently coming out. Woodstock took place in 1968 in the middle of the Hong Kong flu mm -hmm. where uh, in a population of then about 200 million, 100,000 people died. And there was never even a thought of restrictions like this. Mm -hmm. well, and I, and I, my, yeah. I will say this, I'll just add this. My friend Troy yeah. Newman of Operation Rescue, mm -hmm. he's really been railing on churches in his area that won't meet, that won't even make any effort to meet. Um, it, I don't know. This, it, it's scary to me how quickly we've been willing to comply compared to previous situations. Well, I 100% agree. Everybody likes to talk about the 1918 Spanish flu. Look, we weren't doing this back in 1918. I guarantee you that. Uh, it was a different situation, but not really, if you think about it, uh, in terms of what the, gov the government overreach today is out of control. In essence, government uh, has become God. Uh, and, and I think, or in a replacement to a degree uh, for God. And, and I think that's scary. Look, I think the, the larger issue here, not to get into Dr. Phil and all of that psychological, uh, not mumbo jumbo, but to a degree mumbo jumbo, which is fear. Yeah. I mean, I, th yeah. I think people are just fearful. Uh, and, and when you start to have fear overcome uh, some of your, some of what you believe biblically, some of what you believe constitutionally, uh, then you are ripe, uh, you know, to, to be uh, trampled on. Uh, to a degree, uh, morally and otherwise. And, and I think that's exactly what's going on here and where the church is trying to find its stride. Look, it's all new to us, right, Jim? I mean, you know, we're not trying to blame anybody here, but, but I do think that at some point, this is where the church is going, this middle ground that we're trying to figure, everybody's trying to figure out. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, you, so you talk, I, I want to go ahead and move into it now and talk about this evangelical vote that's uh, going to be so significant in November. Uh, churches have been, and Christians in general, the, whether evangelical, mainline, where, wherever they fall in that, they have largely been very supportive of this president because of religious liberty issues. Mm -hmm. uh, first question is, has that all changed because of this, in your opinion? And are, you, are we seeing any slippage at all in support for Donald Trump? Um, leading into the November elections. What, what are you seeing out there? You're really in touch with that. Yeah, uh, no slippage. Uh, it's a layered approach. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, look, this, this uh, president has delivered, as you know, uh, countless times, uh, just unbelievably uh, for evangelicals, as he would say, huge, right? I mean, big league. Um, uh, and he has had pro-life victory after pro-life victory. And you can easily make the case as the most pro-life president, believe it or not, Donald Trump of all people, the yeah. most pro-life president of, of, uh, of anyone we've ever seen, which just shows you God has a sense of humor. Uh, but beyond all of that, uh, look, I, I think the, here's the layered approach. He was on his way to, to a wonderful evangelical turnout, and he still is, but there is an asterisk to all of this. And the asterisk is, what have you done for me lately? Uh, and, and, you know, this idea that, yes, he's got the track record of moving the embassy, U.S. embassy to Jerusalem, and he's got um, the pro-life victories and the religious liberty issues. And, you know, he's standing up for, for evangelical, all of that stuff, which is great. And they're going to vote for him. They're going to turn out in droves. The, the, the key asterisk, though, is how does he handle uh, the rollout, the reopening? Look, let's be honest, just between you, me and the four walls and everybody watching and listening, the truth of the matter is here is that if this doesn't go well. If there, we, we think there's probably going to be some sort of, if not a relapse, there'll be another wave. We're, we're figuring on that. But if this thing goes south in a hurry, 
in terms of the reopening, which so far so good. Uh, but if this goes south, that's on Donald Trump. As much as he wants to say it's on uh, each state, look, knock yourself out with federalism. The truth is the buck stops with him. And he knows it, uh, even though he'll never admit that. Uh, and so this could be the end of his presidency. I don't think there's any question about it. As a matter of fact, I talked to uh, one of his senior advisors the other day, Corey Lewandowski, his former campaign manager, who told me that straight out. This is from Corey, not from me. Don't take it from me. Corey Lewandowski saying, this is a major threat. It's a huge gamble for this president if this rollout, if this reopening does not work out. And so that's the asterisk. And I don't think anybody knows at this point, but you know, he likes to say that he won't be judged just on the coronavirus. Look, Jim, come on. I mean, he's going to be judged on this pretty much alone, which is interesting because Democrats for, I don't know, since Reconstruction, or at least it felt that way, uh, you know, at least for a couple of years, kept talking about impeachment. That was going to be his death now. We're going to impeach the president and that'll be the end. Look, impeachment looks like a slow news day right about now. Uh, yeah. It's all about the coronavirus. That's what, how he'll be judged from this point going forward. There's another factor too. Mm -hmm. You're going to see a propagation of mail ballots across this country mostly because of fear if we see an uptick though it'll it almost seem imminently practical mm -hmm. but there are more and more uh government entities around this country local and state that are strongly considering mail balloting you know i live in colorado where we've had it for a few years now yeah. i think it's a disaster because of vote gathering you're seeing this in color california as well too where you've got mostly Democrat activists that are out there saying, have you turned in your ballot yet? Or they, you know, these are reporters, so you know, if the ballots are there, they're targeting homes. Mm -hmm. They might even be kind of slightly helping people decide how to vote. And uh, there's some potential uh, fraud there. Uh, states or local areas that implement this, it's going to be new to a lot of these poll workers that typically do it. I, I think it's a real potential threat for Donald Trump as well. No, I think ballot, uh, look, they call it ballot harvesting, right? I mean, you know, this idea that uh, third parties get involved and do some of that uh, helpful, and I put that in quotes, helpful uh, ballot harvesting for folks. You know, it's legal in California, believe it or not. Uh, many yeah. other states don't necessarily uh, have uh, a say one way or the other. It's clearly not very ethical, but it is legal in California. What isn't legal in California, FYI? But that's a separate podcast, I'm sure, Jim. Uh, <laughs> look, look, I, I, one of the deals on ballot harvesting is this thing called granny farming, right? Yeah. I mean, this idea that you go into these senior citizen homes uh, and you say, hey, have you registered to vote? There's a Democratic operative, Republican operative, but most likely Democrat operative. At least that's what's been shown. These Democrat operatives going to the nursing home and say, have you voted yet? And they say, you know, an 82-year-old nursing home patient is not having voted. And they get the ballot for them. They wait for that ballot to come in. They walk into the room and say, here's your ballot. And then at that point, that 82-year-old generic person says, well, I don't know what I'm And that's when the operative says, well, you know, you might want to look at this, this, and this. And in other words, they're coaching them. They're helping them fill out ballots. I mean, this is happening. Uh, it happened in California quite a bit. And so uh, you have the granny farming situation. But look, the, the, the truth of the matter is, as you said, it is all about uh, voter fraud. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out if you add more people to the mix uh, and you, ha you have a lot more variables that could go wrong. And of course, voting voter fraud is going to be a problem. Now, Nancy Pelosi, I'm sure, won't say that. Uh, but you know who would? Jimmy Carter. Uh, who, who came up with that commission, him and um, uh, James Baker, who were part of a bipartisan commission uh, b back in the 80s, I believe it was the early 80s, uh, that talked about voting fraud, and it, it runs rampant. Fraud runs rampant when it comes to mail-on uh, mail balloting.
So yeah, all sorts of issues. But I think this is where it's going now in terms of, you know, legally, how many states can get it on the, uh, you know, actually do mail-in ballot because uh, Republicans are going to fight this big time in Congress. And, and I don't think Mitch McConnell is going to give an inch on anything yeah, that Nancy Pelosi wants. You, by the way, <laughs> yeah. To, one other thing, I'll never forget. I think it was, was it 2010 or 12? Uh, the Al Franken, Norm Coleman race up in yeah. Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Al Frank, it was a really close race. Yeah, and cool. I'll never forget hearing that some uh, poll worker shows up with Shazam, 3,000 ballots we found that hadn't been counted yet. Mm -hmm. And it really made the difference. That was before a promulgation of, of mail uh, balloting. That's even more possible with mail balloting, in my opinion. I mean, it's a real risk, in my, as I can see it. Well, and here's the other problem for Democrats. And not, not that, I mean, it's a PR problem, which is, wait, let me get this straight. So if you win the election in November, Donald Trump's going to claim voter fraud. He's going to claim witch hunt, hoax. I mean, he's got so many different cards to play that honestly, from a constitutional perspective, uh, give me a bit, a bit of pause as to what will happen <laughs> in terms of peaceful transition, uh, tr orderly transition. I'm not suggesting he's going to have some sort of coup or anything, but, but, but I, I don't look, all bets are off as to what happens in November if he loses uh, and he loses in a way that he believes is unfair. Well, one of the real concerns I have as well when you talk about how California does have legal vote harvesting, which on a national level, California doesn't matter. Of course, there are some key congressional races in Orange County that could be taken back for Republicans mm -hmm. where that real, will really matter. In Colorado, you can harvest up to 10 ballots. Uh, I don't know what the law is in Oregon, but they have mail balloting. It's all over the place, when, right? In different states, right? It really is. And, and so, you don't see a move on the conservative Republican end of things to counter that with similar efforts. There are legal ways to do this. They could take advantage of the legal thing, but the Republican Party on the national level and on local levels, they're not interested in putting a lot of effort into these same things that, that have accrued to the benefit of Democrats. No, they, they don't have any desire to have that fight. Uh, and, 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 you know, there's an argument as to why they should have the fight. But at this point, I think Mitch McConnell and other folks have few, too many things on their plate, uh, including at the top of the ticket, which is Donald Trump. I mean, he's a, you know, I'm from New York. He's from New York. He's a piece of work. Every day he's a piece of work. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. <laughs> I mean, you, by the way, I think a lot of people in New York City talk about the cultural thing here. You grew up there, so tell me if mm -hmm. I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. But I've always interpreted, even though they vote strongly Democrat in the Bronx mm -hmm. and Queens, Staten Island votes kind of Republican, but these are all working class folks mm -hmm. who really hate being trampled on, who will run to help you in any way. <laughs> I, I, that heart is there. That, I think it's one of the reasons that uh, – Trump is likable, not necessarily by voting in New York City, but mm -hmm. because that attitude is loved all over the country, I think. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. They also they are salt of the earth. They're not heartland, clearly. Uh, you know, yeah. they, they got a little attitude behind them and they're moving That's pretty right. quickly. Uh, but they are salt of the earth and they will help you and they will get right in there and 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 fight to the bloody death if they have to to help you out. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt about it. Hey, listen, uh, switching topics just a little bit. Yeah. I don't know if you got a chance to read my 
theory behind why we call this podcast against nice, but here it is in a nutshell. And I want to get your take on it. I, I'd like to talk about this because I, I'm really of the opinion mm-hmm. that conservatives in general, Christians in particular, really need to change their whole attitude about what's happening in this country, whether it's dealing with mm-hmm. the culture that they're exposed to every day, whether it's paying more attention to politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're far away from the 1990s when kind of that evangelical right movement really rose up and made a big difference. I think it's kind of pulled back a little bit. One of the areas that I think that they're missing is how to address the culture. Mm -hmm. Um, So I make the claim that nice people for the most part are the most evil, (laughs) horrible people in the world because Mm -hmm. to be nice is, is something that's a subjective measure. So if you're agreeable to me, if you're nice to me, if you're good to me, if, if, if you're reasonable to me, then I like you. But there's also that bumper stick out there that says mean people suck. And I think that's kind of the anthem of nice people. On the other side of this is kindness. What kindness is looking to is, the, is what's going to work well for others, what's to the benefit of others. We consider it, uh, we would consider any parent that didn't discipline their children uh, that, that that's not a kind person at all. They're not kind to their children. On the other side, when a child's being disciplined, they don't see anything that's happening to them at that moment as being very nice. Right. Kindness seeks the good of others. And, and that when the public policy part of this is that we're looking at what's happening in public policy. We're comparing that to ultimate reality and ultimate truth which I think imperfectly, but about as perfect as ever happened in human history, is expressed in the Constitution. I don't see this passion for that happening in the church very much right now. I think that I think I see them all trying to be nice. I see that they feel it's a risk to be to challenge the culture, to challenge one another too, by the way, to change your attitude. Look at all the statistics when you talk about divorce, abortion, uh, drug use, a lot of these issues, there's not a lot of difference in the church than the culture at large. I really want to see this change. And so what, what are your thoughts about that? How, what do you perceive going on there? Well, uh, I, first of all, I think you're 100% spot on. Uh, there, there's so many things to unpack there. Uh, let me start with Donald Trump. Uh, you know, he, he's a guy that the first word that comes to mind would not be kind. Uh, right. ha- having said that, if you are going with the philosophy, which it seems like you're, this is what you're talking about, which is this idea that like truth telling is kind, uh, discipline yeah. is kind, uh, someone that is going to let you know where you stand, that is kind, even though he doesn't necessarily come across as kind uh, as it relates to uh, his Twitter feed and other things. So, you know, there's this dichotomy going on there exactly. You know, he's not necessarily saying it in a kind way, but if you're speaking truth, and if you're saying, look, we got a mess on our hands and this wasn't done right and we need to fix it, um, there's some kindness in there because you're leveling with folks. Uh, and, and so I think that's, that's interesting. As it relates to the church, uh, I think you're absolutely right on that too. I mean, look, I, I think pastors can learn a, a quite a big lesson from Donald Trump, uh, believe it or not. Pastors learning a lesson from Donald Trump, not necessarily on uh, morality and ethics from the 70s, 80s, and 90s and how to handle marriages, Okay, right. maybe not that, 
But what they could learn a lesson on when it comes to Donald Trump is boldness, not biblical boldness, but boldness specifically. Look, Donald Trump is bold, whether you like him or not. You know, he's the uncle at the party that says what everybody else is thinking, but he's the guy that says it. And the reason he says it is because he can go back to his gold-plated toilet at Trump Tower and, and do whatever he wants. He couldn't give a rip if he, you know, in terms of what, I mean, he cares what happens. But, but my point is, is that he's playing with house money, uh, if yeah. you will. Uh, and, and so I think pastors in that vein need to step up and be bolder, have a new black robe regiment, if you will, uh, in this country. I mean, what happened to the revolutionary war days of the past when pastors led uh, with niceness. And what I mean by niceness is moral clarity, uh, examples, uh, making sure uh, that they were the ones that were speaking about the cultural, social, economic, and political issues of the day. And guess where they were speaking at it from? Not from their couch, they were doing that, but from the pulpit. Uh, and, and so I, I think that the church is, uh, is going to need to experience another awakening. I think we're starting to see some signs that that could be the case, but um, we've got sure a long way to go in that regard. Oh yeah, I've been saying for years we need a we need a cultural reset if we're going to remain free in this country. And that has to happen through a third great awakening, which when you look at the previous great awakenings, it wasn't that everybody in the country became born again Christians, you know, and right. you still had a real dichotomy. What changed was the whole attitude of things was different. I've often said that the uh deist and supposedly atheist Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin would have argued for the protection of the unborn in the same way the more religious-minded Washington and Adams would. They would have used what I call the coinage of liberty. You know, they would have made a rational argument. They would have uh, appealed to the natural law and to some of these basic principles. They would have appealed to Aquinas and Locke and Montesquieu. They also would have all used religious proof texts because they would have they would have understood and they actually said very clearly in their lives how important these basic principles are rationality and reason is not in the church anymore it's what i feel it's how i make you feel it's how you make me feel it's how the worship service makes me feel wow. there's a loss of this ability to reason with society in an apologetic that makes a difference well, there's so many examples of that, Jim, but let's just take one, uh, gay marriage, a traditional yeah. marriage, call it whatever you want. I mean, look, the last time I checked, uh, God's view of marriage uh, is the same it was 6,000 plus years ago, uh, or however you want to deal with that in terms of the beginning of time. Here's the point. God didn't change. What changed? Public opinion of polls changed. People changed. And guess what? Politicians followed. Uh, and, and so we've got a wishy-washy culture out there uh, and a bunch of wishy-washy Christians, quite frankly. And I think we're all guilty of it to a, to an extent. Uh, I'm not suggesting that I'm, I'm sitting up here uh, casting the first stone here. Um, you know, I, I think uh, we all need to be bolder. Uh, but but you're right. I mean, I think that the, the, the gay marriage issue, I think, is a good example of how um, what changed exactly. The culture yeah. changed. The, the, the culture changed for a lot of different reasons. We can go into education. We can go into liberalism. We can go into uh, Woodstock. We can, we, can, we can do all that. You know, we can unpack all that. But the culture did change. The people changed with it. But God's message did not change. And yet people were willing to go wishy-washy and go all flimsy and not stick with what God says about marriage, and instead decided to be followers and go with the polls because they want to be accepted. And that is not boldness whatsoever. No, not at all. And by the way, it doesn't mean 
that Christians who read the Bible and know what God says about marriage had to suddenly be all angry and mean and horrible to homosexual people. But now they've gone the other way and they've entirely compromised what the meaning of marriage is. I think one of the big reasons that the evangelical mainline, whatever, uh, and Catholic, whatever of the church, the reason that they've been so ineffective in society in part is because not because they didn't impose a way a thinking on marriage, a biblical thinking on marriage into the society because they don't impose it upon themselves. Mm-hmm. That may be the biggest reason. I have said that the reason that the Supreme Court uh, went with homosexual marriage and had that the, that big ruling that Anthony Kennedy wrote mm-hmm. is not because of homosexual activists. It's mm-hmm. because of the church. We have an exampled marriage in the church. We we have all the same problems. There's no difference. You go back to the second century, mm-hmm. and I heard uh, R.C. Sproul talk about this one time. You know, Justin Martyr could actually write an apologetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote his apology to Antoninus Pius, the Roman emperor at the time, saying, hey, mm-hmm. look how good Christians are, how dedicated we are to truth. We're the ones who are your great citizens. Don't call, please don't call us bad citizens. We're actually honoring you by doing the right things. It's, it's the non-Christians that are doing things behind your back and causing problems. I don't mm-hmm. know that you could make that argument very strongly today, and it's a real shame. Well, you know, I think you make a good point. I, I would add this, that I think there's also another layer going on here, another angle, if you will, and that is, is that the, 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 the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? I mean, yeah. this idea that uh, the LGBT community, which we need to love, we need to love Absolutely. on them, we need to tell them about Jesus, and we need to, we do too much of this. We do too much yeah. of the finger pointing. It's not good. It's counterproductive. doesn't help. Uh, we need to lead by example. Now, having said that, the LGBT community has been very, very vocal. They've been very, very active. They've been very, very organized. And because of all right. of that, they were able to, in essence, kind of not, not, create a niche in this country, but they were able to rise up with a media that was complicit in it all. Uh, But the point is, is that they were active and they were loud. Where's the church? Where's the activism in the church? Where's the loudness in the church? Where's the boldness in the church? Look, I I mean, not not to say, uh, you know, I'm not into they, them versus us, but the truth of the matter is, is that uh, the numbers are on the side of evangelicals. The problem is too many evangelicals are sitting on the couch uh, eating Doritos and complaining rather than putting the Doritos down and getting to work. And, and I think that's a big problem, too. Yeah, listen, this problem goes all the way into Congress with Christians. Yeah. I spent, as you know, eight years there working for a couple different guys. Yeah. And what I noticed is on one side you have the Jim Jordan Christian who is absolutely focused on what matters on revealing where there are problems on standing firm on principle. And then you've got another group of people who claim to be Christians and, and they're just not engaged up there at all. I, it's a frustration for me to, to see that big dichotomy. There's a lot of positive effort that could be happening there as well, but Christians are not active day in and day out, in in talking about principles of limited government. By the way, they're not even constitutionalists sometimes mm-hmm. when you go into these churches. They don't even understand what the role of government is and how limited it truly is in the Constitution. Yeah. Well, Jim, I got to tell you, um, it was a Russell Kirk, the philosopher, once said politicians are actors uh, on a yeah. stage. And the play 
is written by the audience uh, yeah. and the audience is the voter. Uh, and so look, uh, you know, it all starts with, oh, hmm, let me think, I've heard this before. Oh, that's right, we the people. Uh, <laughs> and, if, and if we the people don't get busy and don't get moving, um, politicians, whether they call themselves Christian uh, or are Christian or aren't doing much, uh, or whatever faith, shape, animal, vegetable, mineral they are, uh, you know, there, there's going to be a reckoning uh, in this country and it's not going to be a good one. I got to, on that, I think it's a good switch to kind of talking about this, uh, really the deep state problem in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. And in recent times, this Michael Flynn thing, which by the way, while we're making this recording, mm -hmm. the judge in the Michael Flynn case is delaying the Department of Justice from dropping their case. This epitome, this whole thing, the Michael Flynn thing and go out into the overall anti-Trump effort that apparently Barack Obama himself may have been directing, which I think we all kind of thought, but it seems more and more clear that that was the case. It's the kind and level of corruption in Washington, D.C. is so deep that we've got um, – We've got judges like this one in the Michael Flynn case. They're really trying to thwart the justice that's there. We've got everyone arguing that Michael Flynn, well, he pled guilty, but they don't want to talk about all the documents to support the pressures that were on him to do that. Uh, the, the tentacles of the deep state are very, uh, they're very deep. They, they have solid roots uh, I've seen it when I was there. You see it because you report on it all the time. Mm -hmm. what, what's your perspective on this? How can we make people understand how bad this really is? Uh, I tell you what, uh, it, that's hard. It, that, that's hard. Uh, yeah, I see it. Um, I don't want to say up close, but you know, it's here. It's, a, it's obvious. Uh, look, uh, part of my job is I go around and I talk to newsmakers, right? Uh, so uh, about a month yeah. ago, I talked to Steve Bannon. Uh, who talked to me all about the deep state. Talk about a walking encyclopedia, by the way. I felt like I needed a, an Epsom salt bath. <laughs> I know, Steve. You're uh, exactly oh my, right. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I didn't know what to do. I felt like I got hit by a Mack truck. Uh, but he talked about uh, the, the deep state ad nauseum. Corey Lewandowski talked to him about the other day about Michael Flynn. He wrote a book about it. Look, look, I, I don't even know where to begin. All, all I can simply say is that you have a media that's complicit in covering it all up. And what I mean by covering it up, I'm not talking about they're covering up specifically the deep state, but where is the investigation to any of this? I mean, you had Peter Strzok and Lisa Page with text uh, talking about how the White House is running this. Uh, the president wants to know what's going on or POTUS wants to know what's going on. Look, I mean, how in the world, if you're a journalist, do you not go and say, hmm, maybe I should look into that. Maybe there should be a 20 page New York Times investigation on that. No. So look, they're all in cahoots together. And what's really interesting here, and part of this is the deep state, is that you hear a lot of times anonymous sources, or you hear a, a high ranking government official. That's code for deep state. In other words, these high ranking government officials don't want to be identified, but they're leaking like you wouldn't believe. And I think the media has a responsibility to say, well, hold on for a moment. There's a lot of people that could be a high-ranking government official. Let's get some specifics about exactly who this person is. You have to be a very smart consumer of news because the deep state, if you will, in other words, these entrenched bureaucrats that we're talking about that have been in the government for a long time uh, that apparently didn't get the memo that Donald Trump uh, became president and feel like they need to take the country into their own hands. Um, 
you know, th- th- there's all sorts of problems with this, and and I can go on and on, but uh, you know, on the Michael yeah, when Flynn you look case, at the when you look yeah. at the impeachment hearings and right. the arrogance of these mostly State Department bureaucrats mm-hmm. in saying how wrong Donald Trump is, having no clue at all that the line of authority in this country is from the mm-hmm. people to elected officials, for good or for bad. Mm-hmm. They're not the ones who are the ultimate authorities. They have expertise. They have experience. That's all great and fine. But they don't have a right to show that well, kind of arrogance. Well, and Jim, it, it's just and not to go, not to revisit impeachment for a moment, but uh, Colonel Vidman and some other folks. Okay, so they heard something on the call that they didn't like, and they felt like, oh, my goodness, this is horrible. Um, just between you and me, if I can get a little closer to the camera, so what? So what? So they heard something that they didn't like. Okay, I hear something that I don't like every single day. Do I think it's an impeachable offense? I mean, g- give me a break. I mean, these are folks that clearly were trying to somehow get the president on uh, any sort of what misdemeanor or whatever they thought in their head. With they, it has been since day one with this president. Uh, and you know what? It just makes them stronger. Uh, you know, you just you, you just wonder at some point uh, if if it's all going to come back to haunt the Democrats. Uh, we'll see. Is Joe Biden fatal to himself right now, leading into November? <laughs> Joe Biden calls himself the human gaff machine. Hey, I didn't call him that. He calls himself the human gaff machine. Uh, look, it's disastrous. It's absolutely, this is the best the Democrats have to offer. And here's the problem. Uh, six months ago, I shouldn't say six months, about nine months ago or so, I said uh, publicly uh, in my analysis that the only Democrat that could beat Donald Trump is Joe Biden. That was nine months ago. And then I got a, a load of what Joe Biden was this time around, and there's no way. And what I mean by no way, uh, look, I know Joe Biden. I've interviewed Joe Biden. Joe Biden's a good guy. He's not a bad guy. Uh, he's a center-left guy, but he has been fooled so far to the left. And I know now you, you listen to him and he's, I mean, look, bless his heart. I don't know what's going on exactly, uh, but the, the mental acumen is not there like it used to be. Uh, and you put all that together and on a debate stage. And once again, I don't even know if these two are going to get on a debate stage at this point, Yeah, uh, but he'll be, he'll be eaten alive. I mean, he'll be eaten alive by Donald Trump. Who would have thought that Donald Trump would be the, the top debater, uh, going in, but, but that's exactly what it is. Um, look, I, I think the Biden campaign has all sorts of problems and here's their electoral challenge, right? Um, if he could stay center left and he could appeal to the blue collar, uh, you know, the, the uh, the working class, if you will. Uh, then I think he has a real shot uh, to win back places like Michigan and Pennsylvania, even with all of the ca- the snafus and even though he's getting up there in age and there's all sorts of, pro- look, I-, I think he could, he could potentially do that. Here's the problem. The far left in the party has pulled him so far left. Now, normally you pivot in the general election, as you know, uh, to, yeah. to, you know, to, to go more moderate. I, I think we're going to see the exact opposite. I mean, I think he's going to go far to the left uh, because why? He knows that the energy in this party is with the Bernie folks, with the AOCs of the world, with the far left, and he's got a choice to make. Do you want to go for the blue-collar working white class folks who can win you Pennsylvania and Michigan, uh, but the problem is you might lose some other states because you've gone center-left and you've alienated the Bernie folks, the progressives. So I don't think he's going to do that. I think he's going to go to the far left. That's where the party's been going, and I think it's going to be disastrous for him in the fall. You know, uh, as we record this in mid-May, I there's still some cloudiness as to how this is all going to play out sure. on the presidential level. But I think still odds on are for Trump because you got to. Oh, 
well, crappy Democrat candidate and, and right. some dynamics that were there. But I will say this, uh, I yeah. went back to that asterisk on coronavirus. There's that, but, but here's the thing, and here's what helps Biden. We have gone in the last few months to a society that is relying a lot more on government than we ever have before. And I'm going back to FDR and all of that. I mean, look, I mean, we're, we're listening to these public health officials for the most part, and, and not just health officials, but state officials, governors, and we're kind of letting them be the be all end all of our private lives, which is obviously a problem. Here's where I'm going with this with Biden. Biden's been in government since, uh, I don't know, uh, since Gone with the Wind. It's been a very long time. And that could actually be a good calling card for him. He can say, yeah. look, folks, you saw that Trump wanted to reopen the government, didn't go too well. I know government. I know that sounds crazy to say, a politician to say, I know government, elect me because I've been around for 60 years in government. But actually, this time around, that actually might do the trick. Someone that wants uh, more government uh, in people's lives because of what we've seen in the last couple of months. It actually could play very well for Joe Biden. We'll see. No, there, there's no doubt about it. That's a possibility. I've been talking to folks in D.C. I'm glad I'm away from D.C., by the way, for yeah. about a, almost two years now. But I stay in touch with all my friends. There are a lot of people on with me, you know, who are the more conservative, liberty-minded yeah. uh, staffers or people there. I talk to people in the White House on, on Capitol Hill. They are a little worried about that. They're wondering if that would be a problem. Yep. But I'll tell you another problem. But anyway, all things being equal, Joe Biden's also lost. This will be his fourth presidential race. You know, he's never put up a good presidential campaign. Yeah. That also works in the favor. But again, I, I agree. That argument may be there. I think odds on for Trump still, but it's still a little cloudy in mid-May. I don't know yet. But here's one thing that's not so cloudy, and that's Republicans running for Congress. My big argument over and over again with congressional efforts, you know, the National Republican Campaign Committee back in 2010 took credit for the Tea Party wave. They didn't have a dang thing to do with it. It was all came up from the grassroots and all people. They, they tend to think that they're very smart and they're just not when it comes to politics because they're not like Donald Trump. They aren't fighters. Do you see anything changing in that uh, leading into November when it comes to the, the House congressional races or the Senate ones? No, I, I think it's a, it's a wild card. I mean, it's, it's really hard to say. I mean, Trump just makes everything a wild card. So it's, it's hard to kind of game it out from a strategic standpoint. I think all bets are off. I, mean, I think we just don't know. And we also don't know from a virtual campaigning standpoint how things are going to go. So, you know, uh, as you know, Jim, a lot of it depends on the candidate it's, uh, themselves or him or herself and, uh, and the dynamics within a district. So uh, we'll have to see about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm very concerned. Yeah. So uh, before we go, a little personal thing. You know, we got to know one another back in 2006 when I was running the marriage amendment in Colorado yeah. and you interviewed me and I appreciate your remaining friends ever since. What in the heck ever got you interested in doing what you're doing <laughs> and how did you get to CBN? Well, it's a, it's, it's a great question. There's a Reader's Digest version, which I'll give you, and then there's a much yeah. longer version. But uh, look, you know, it's funny, uh, ever since high school, you know, I wanted to do this. I'm, I didn't. I don't mean podcasting, uh, and I don't mean being on the air at CBN, uh, but I wanted to get into television. I wanted to get into radio. I wanted to get into journalism. 
uh, and communications. And that's exactly what I did at Ithaca College. And uh, kind of a long story. I grew up Jewish. I, some people know, some people don't. It's, I got a testimony on Facebook. You can watch it there. Uh, yeah. But grew up Jewish, gave my life to Jesus at 23 years old, figuring God has a sense of humor because my liberal Jewish mother watches the 700 Club uh, back in New York. So you know, God definitely has a sense of humor. I remember one time I told my mom, I said, Mom, you realize Jesus was Jewish, right? She goes, I thought he was Protestant. Anyhow, so this is the stuff <laughs> that I'm dealing with, Jim. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. I believe that's where I morph into the Oiga Vault and I put on my glasses and I look a little Jewish. <laughs> um, anyhow, so uh, yeah. I, I was in secular television for a long time. I've been in the business 31 years. Uh, and in 2003, the job at CBN opened up. I uh, really wanted to, um, you know, kind of go not just national, uh, but uh, it's a kind of long story. I didn't buy a Porsche, but I had a bit of a midlife crisis, not in a bad way or anything. I wasn't like on Dr. Yeah. Phil, uh, but I definitely uh, had a, a calling from the Lord uh, to do this. Uh, and so that's what I did. 2003, got the job as a Capitol Hill correspondent. We uh, broke bread, if you will, in 2006. Uh, yeah. And the rest has been history. I mean, God has uh, taken this Jewish kid who got bar mitzvahed and put him on the Christian Broadcasting Network. So once again, I say God has a sense of humor. And since then, uh, I've been blessed to be on Meet the Press uh, at NBC uh, since 2007 uh, with uh, Tim Russert. And then after that with Chuck Todd. I know Chuck's mm -hmm. embroiled in a, in a little bit of a controversy. I sent him a, a text the other day just encouraging him. I'm trying to be a brother uh, to him uh because you know we all make mistakes and he admitted he made a mistake anyhow the point simply is is that uh you know i've had a had a great career uh, uh been yeah. able to interview the president uh twice so far once on air force one uh which was neat um and then once in the uh in uh, at the white house uh and then uh interviewed the vice president six times already uh in this uh this administration and the Secretary of State Pompeo five times uh, went to Jerusalem with him and been to Saudi Arabia and Kuwait and uh, all over the place. So Rome. So uh, it's been quite a whirlwind. And, uh, you know, I just love it. Now I'm, I'm doing look, I got a microphone. So uh, here I am doing podcasting yeah. on the pods, honest truth. And uh, yeah. I'm enjoying every minute of it. Yeah. I, I, you know, you and I are, are we're the, about the same age. Yeah. And I've been in politics about as long as you've been in media. Uh, interestingly, <laughs> since you interviewed him six times, the reason that I got into politics is the vice president. Yeah, We used to have lunch regularly uh, back in the day uh, when he was with Indiana Policy Review and he was on the He's radio great. in Indiana. And uh, we went to church together for a few years. Mm -hmm. He and Karen are, everything you see about him is very real. And uh, whatever criticism you have on various political matters with him, and there's, there's some criticisms. I've had some, but sure, this guy is a really good man. And when he has, it's amazing the grace that he has in his life when he is getting waylaid by the public. Uh, he, 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 you know, no, he uh, lives it. He lives his faith. He really does. I, yeah. And I was glad to know him and He's just been a good friend through the years, but a good man too. That's a good backup for Donald Trump, to be honest. It's a good balance to be keen. We'll see. Well, Nikki Haley may have a, something to say about that in 2024, but that's well, another you podcast. Know, yeah, yeah. You're not breaking news, are you? No, 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 yeah, no. But, but I've gotten to know Nikki Haley very, very well. And uh, yeah, she's, she'll be around. She's very, very interesting. Yeah, no doubt about it. She's solid. Well, with that, uh, any final parting shots before we close this down, David? Uh, what, what's your encouragement to folks? What is, you know, what's your cap on what's taking place right now? Just before we end up. 
Yeah, you know, look, if, if you take nothing away uh, from anything I've said, which, you know, join my family, they say, what did you say for the last hour and a half? I have no <laughs> idea what you just said. Uh, but uh, I, I would just say this, be smart, uh, be diligent. And what I mean by smart, be a smart consumer of news. Um, don't get tricked by headlines. Read the article. A lot of times those headlines, when you read them, if you go six, seven paragraphs in, you go, wait a minute. That just contradicted the headline that they just wrote. Uh, the, the point simply is, is that we're living in a very deceptive time and we're living in, you know, Donald Trump calls it fake news, but there's clearly something to be said about that. Uh, there, there is a media out there um, that has an agenda. And, you know, David Lane, an evangelical organizer I know very well. I know David, good friend. Yeah, yep. he's, he's, he's fond of saying this, and I love this saying that he says, and he says, someone's values are going to reign supreme. And so this is a fight over values. This is a fight over, uh, you know, who's going to win. Uh, do we have to play nice? Yes. Do we have to be kind? Yes. But as you say in your mission statement, what is nice? What is kind? Well, looked at that way, it means fighting, fighting for boldness, fighting for truth, and fighting ultimately to be a beacon of light in this country and a personal witness to those around us. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, David, where do people go to find more on you? You're right. Uh, they would go to the Witness Protection Program. I'm listed there on <laughs> Z54. No, no, uh, no. You, you would go to, uh, well, there's a couple places to find me. Uh, clearly, the uh, all you can eat buffet. But after that, you would go to uh, Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. You just type in the Pods Honest Truth and you can subscribe to the podcast. I really hope you would do that. Uh, narcissistically, it would make me feel better if you gave me a good rating. <laughs> if you don't give me a good rating, please don't give me a rating. Uh, hey, by the way, if you don't give me a good rating in return, man. <laughs> oh, I'll give you a good rating. Don't worry. And Thanks. if you could send the check, let me give you my, my address. Yeah, really? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, there's that. And then of course, uh, online, you can go to cbnnews.com where you can see some of my writing and also just the news. Dot com. Uh, I'm a senior contributor over there. John Solomon runs Just the News, and they have three podcasts. Uh, John Solomon has a podcast. Cheryl Atkinson has a podcast, a former CBS reporter, and myself. Yep. So three podcasts, three Ps in a podcast, and there it is. I love it. David Brody, thank you so much for joining me. You're a good friend. I really appreciate it. Jim, anytime. Thanks. Good luck with the podcast. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today on the Against Nice podcast. And again, before you leave us, I just want to ask you, connect with us on our email list and our social media go to politicsisntnice.com click on the join our email list button we'll get you information related to what we learned here today but also um, other information that we're finding out along the way it'll be a great resource for you you can also go to our facebook page facebook.com forward slash against nice and our twitter page at against nice Go check us out there, and we look forward to talking to you, getting your feedback, finding out more from you. Thanks. Have a great day.